Hey, Cole. Guess what I did this week? What did you do this week? I watched a terrible movie called Tamara. Want to hear about it? Sure. Awesome. Welcome to Second to Die. Welcome back to Second to Die. Hopefully. Ideally. A horror fiction podcast where we talk about lots of things. And sometimes horror. Before we get into that, I have to read this thing to you that I've been sitting on for a while and not talking to you about. Which I don't think we mentioned in the first episode. We're married, so that's like an extra thing. Yeah, so I waited to talk to you about this on the podcast because there's a lot of layers to this and I want to unpeel them with you. So I'll read the whole thing and then we can discuss It is not horror, but I feel as if it is horror adjacent. Okay. Spanish porn star Nacho Vidal, who likes to advertise his aromatic candles shaped like male genitalia on Twitter, has been arrested on manslaughter charges following a man's death during a mystic ritual in which he inhaled psychedelic toad venom. I mean... I just feel like he's coming for me because I'm from Florida, and I feel like we're supposed to have cornered the market on the crazy crimes. He does seem to be encroaching on your territory. So, aromatic candles shaped like male genitalia. That's interesting. What do they smell like? Sandalwood? They cannot smell like crotch, right? (laughs) Cheese. That's that's, uh, unacceptable. And then... He killed somebody during a mystic ritual in which he inhaled psychedelic toad venom. But what I don't like about this, and granted, I didn't read the article. This is just a headline. How did he kill the person? Did he just space out on toad venom and murder him? Or did the guy die from toad venom? I think the guy died from toad venom and that's vague pronoun usage. Also, mystic ritual. That's interesting. Do you think he uses um, penis candles during the mystic rituals? Magic with a K? (laughs) Yeah, definitely magic with a K. But I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. I could see like a horror movie being done on that. It would be better than Tamara. And I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. No, I mean, I'm going to talk about this movie. And I'm going to, I'll preface it by saying this too. I have seen this cover art for this movie for so long because, as you know, one of the things I do during my own time is to just scroll through horror movies and find something that looks like it might be worth watching or so bad that I'll enjoy watching it anyway. And I've seen Tamara, the cover art of it is this girl in a really short skirt wielding an axe with both hands. And I always thought that looks okay. Like I could get into that. And I just never gave it a shot. But I did for this because I thought, why not? And I don't want to say I immediately regretted my decision, but I certainly regretted it at about the 30 to 40 minute mark. But I was so invested, I had to just do it. But it's worth it because there are some scenes that we can talk about that are really bizarre. And some of the humor for 2005, I don't know if it's progressive or like the opposite of progressive. I'm just looking at the cover now. I looked it up on my phone. And I just love the tagline of, Revenge has a killer body. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I will say that she looks great. Tamara, she's played by Jenna Dewan, who is very beautiful. Oh, is she the one who was married to Chang Tatum? She is for eight years. Oh my god. I love her. She was in The Witches of East End, and I loved that show. Yeah, so she was in Step It Up, and I assume that's maybe how they met. Or... I don't know. I don't know their relationship, and I didn't really research it, but she was married to Channing Tatum for eight years. Yeah, and then he has dated, like, a string of women who look almost identical to her in a very disconcerting manner. Yeah, and I think this was not her first film, but uh, close to her last film. (laughs) She actually, I think, transitioned to working on Dancing with the Stars, and I think is doing pretty well as a dancer. But I believe she excels as a dancer more than an actress. Although her acting was really not my biggest complaint about this movie. Her acting was actually acceptable. She was good in The Witches of East End. 
Yeah, she was probably the best person in this movie. Now, granted, she had the most screen time because the whole movie was about her. But, and she did, her character was kind of this, like, sexy vixen for the majority of the movie. With a killer body. Right, and that is kind of her forte. So, I can see how that works for her. But, the movie also, the reason I wanted to do it is because the movie has a lot to do with witchcraft. And Mm -hmm. that's very big right now. Okay, so, you know how last week we accidentally did two things about creepy children? Yes. Mine has to do with a witch. Oh. Well, that's lovely. But keep going. We'll get to mine later. We're on theme. So, this movie came out in 2005. Are we ready to talk about it? Yes. Okay. We've been talking about it for a while. We just started by, like, fambling over... Well, I'm about to hit you with the plot. So, this movie came out in 2005. That's not plot related. It's directed by Jeremy Haft. I looked him up. He didn't really do anything extraordinary to discuss. So, anyway... It's one of those movies, it's sort of a horror version of the movies from the late 90s, such as She's All That, Mm -hmm. and those type of movies, because it starts with Tamara, and she is the frumpy, ugly, unpopular girl in school, and she's being played by Jenna Dewan, mind you. That's cute. They think that they can make Jenna Dewan frumpy and ugly. Well, they did. They succeeded because she's wearing... Jean overalls with no makeup and her hair pulled back, so she's clearly disgusting. Of course, and all she does is take a single pin out of her hair and suddenly she's beautiful. Yeah. And Does she, she have glasses? She didn't have glasses. I had honestly expected that, but she didn't. But they do have her do this, like, mousy posture where she, like, hunches her shoulders forward. And it's really unsuccessful. I'll just say that. She looks fine, but... They basically have to have other students make fun of her to let you know that she's the unpopular frumpy girl. Oh, God. Because it is not that apparent. She's also into witchcraft. Who isn't? I mean, I don't think that that's that weird because that was kind of me in high school, too. She carries around witchcraft books with her in high school and they make fun of her for it. And that's totally believable to me because I did the exact same thing and people made fun of me for it. And I did the exact same thing and people made fun of me for it. So basically the other students at school, for no reason other than she's frumpy and I guess doesn't wear makeup, make fun of her quite a bit to start with. I don't really get it because she's not ugly. And granted, high school students will find any reason to tease somebody. I get that. But usually there's something you they, they sort of latch on to. And with her, I guess it's because she would wear these like jean overall things. Which are super trendy now. Anyway, keep going. They, I'm sorry. They are. So it's mainly the people that are making fun of her are these two sort of jock guys who are really not attractive. And not even by like 2005 standards. So I'm not really sure why they got cast. But their names are Sean and Patrick. And then one of them's girlfriend's name is Keisha. And then there are the new kids in school who transferred from California, and their names are Chloe and some other guy, but he doesn't, he's not really important. And Chloe is sort of the alternative skater chick. She's always wearing like the beanies and like band t shirts and stuff. Anyway, I think Chloe is supposed to be this sort of good one because. At one point, Keisha is making fun of Tamara in the locker room and confronting her. And Chloe steps in and basically stops Keisha and is like, don't bully her. And Keisha is like, mind your own business. And Chloe says, I'm making it my business. She's tough as nails. Sassy. She is. And then it's actually hysterical because Tamara. After that interaction, Tamara does the whole, thanks for helping me. And (laughs) Chloe says this, like, burn, I guess, and goes, don't worry. In 10 years, they're going to all be fat, bitter, and divorced alcoholics. These are high school students. (laughs) So (laughs) 10 years for them. And it does come out later that they're seniors. But 10 years is still 27, 28 years old. Okay. (laughs) But I know people that I went to high school with, and I'm 29, so in that age range, you are... 
fat, bitter, divorced alcoholics. Moving on. So the whole reason, so they were bullying Tamara before, but then what happens is Tamara writes an article about the steroid use on the school's football team. And obviously like messing with high school football teams is a big no-no. I wouldn't know because my high school didn't have a football team, but I know that especially in like smaller towns, people get so into it. So she writes this article about steroid use and then her English teacher, whom she has a crush on that will come into play later, likes the article so much, he submits it to the local paper and the paper prints it on the front page. Because that's how papers work. I mean, if it's a small enough town. So her article makes the front page. And then the jocks are really upset with her. So they're chasing her all around. But they can't actually catch her. At some point, the English teacher, who is Tamara's, I guess, mentor, but also object of affection in it, sort of scares the jocks away. And so they can't get back at her for that article. So they plot this big revenge. So... The revenge is super wild and out there. They basically end up, and this is kind of like the big plot of the movie. They end up renting a hotel because they're going to videotape Tamara thinking that she's meeting with the English teacher because they find out that she has a crush on the English teacher. So I'm not going to get into it because it'll take me forever and I don't like to do the play-by-play. But long story short, Tamara shows up at this other hotel room. They are trying to videotape her with the help of Roger, the AV kid from school, who didn't know he was doing this, but was kind of duped into into helping them with this revenge sort of attack on Tamara. Yeah. And obviously the teacher doesn't show up. Tamara thinks he's going to. It goes crazy. When Tamara finds out what's going on, she kind of goes a little ballistic. There's a physical scuffle between people. Tamara is pushed down. She hits her head on the edge of a coffee table, like so many people do in so many movies, and dies. Oh. Yeah. So, the end. No, just kidding. That's not how the movie ends. <laughs> so, um, so then they're like, oh my god, what do we do? I have a scholarship. So they don't want to tell anybody, and they end up burying her in the woods. And then Tamara... The next day, immediately comes back from the dead. And she walks into class the next day, and she's like super banging hot body, short, short skirt, that kind of a situation. And she's sassy now. So the whole thing is that she comes back to life. Oh, important part. The reason she comes back to life is because she cast a love spell on the professor. And part of the love spell was that she was supposed to spill her blood, but she was too scared to cut herself to get blood to add to the spell. So what ended up happening is when the people killed her and she hit her head on the coffee table, that spilled her blood and completed the spell. Also, I think maybe the reason she was too scared to spill her blood is because she tried to do that movie thing where she cuts the palm of her hand with a knife. And can we just talk for a second about how impractical and dumb that is? Like of all the places to cut yourself, like you can't just do a little pinprick on your finger or like... You know, when you're trying to do blood tests, you can just lance your finger or something. No, I'm just going to take a big knife and just slash my palm open. That's not going to hinder me in life for the next however many days that takes to heal. Uh, Days. It will take a very long time to heal. It is on a very sensitive part of the body. We're not even talking about nerve damage. People always do that. Anytime somebody needs to add blood to a spell or ritual, it's always the palm. Like, why the palm? It's because they're holding blood packs. Yeah, that's true. It's easier special effects-wise, I think, to do a blood pack. Yeah. So she comes back because that kind of completes the ritual. And she comes back now with the power of self-confidence. And also she can make people do whatever she wants if she touches them. Oh. It's later explained in a really dumb way that I won't get into. So anyways, she decides that she's going to take revenge on all the students. And that's sort of the whole point of the movie is Tamara taking revenge on the students because they made fun of her overalls. And in probably the best in terms of crazy gruesome death scenes, she makes the audio visual kid, Roger, kill himself on a live feed in the school, like broadcast, by standing there apologizing for being a bystander because he kind of watched as this happened. 
mm-hmm. which is sort of unfair. Roger did not participate in the killing of Tamara, but because he watched it and he watched them bury her and didn't call the police, he had to die. She makes him cut his ear off on camera for hearing evil. He does this like hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil thing. So on camera, he has to cut his ear off. Then he cuts his tongue out and then he jabs the knife in his eyeball on the live feeding camera and dies. Oh, that's exciting. Yes. And school does, I think, maybe shut down for the day, but is back in session the next day. Then also there's a party going on because that's just what happens. So the next, sometime in the next day or two, there's like a party, a house party. Because it's a movie about high school. Yes. And one of the, one of the high school kids' parents is out of town. So naturally they just throw a big, huge super party. Like you do. Yeah. So, (laughs) so the party, so Tamara shows up to the party. This is the other scene that I want to talk about. It just has some interesting, weird choice of words. And some weird humor because it comes out that one of the jocks has this history of getting girls to drink so he can sleep with them. We call that a rapist. Yes. Yes, we do. Okay. So at this party, so Tamara basically touches the two jocks, uh, Patrick and Sean. And so now she can control them. And she takes them into the bedroom And decides that their punishment for being the way they are is that they're going to have to have sex with each other. Oh, this suddenly got really interesting. Okay. (laughs) And so she says, the only question is, who's going to pitch and who's going to catch? So then she does eeny, meeny, miny, moe on them to determine who the bottom is. And the person who she points to, she basically says, well, you're the bottom. (sighs) Which is pretty accurate for people listening. That is how the gays do it. Exactly. We just do any, meeny, money, mo. Or we flip a coin. (laughs) We'll say that I feel bad for them because neither one of them was going to that party expecting to bottom. No, there was no preparation involved. So that is kind of funny. And then later on in the movie, when she answers one of them's cell phone because they're trying to call him to like warn about Tamara or something... She answers the phone and says, Patrick can't come to the phone right now. He's fucking Sean. That's delightful. She's very sassy. So, like, sexy Tamara is sassy. Like I said, she loses her life, but gains the power of self-confidence. So, anyways, that's probably, like, the best scene in the movie. There's a lot of cringeworthy scenes. Tamara at one point has the great line towards her teacher that she has a crush on of, I'm going to make you love me, which I feel like if you say that, she regains the power of self-confidence, but then she loses it all in one line. Yikes. Also, the teacher has a wife and Tamara sends the jocks to kill her at one point because I guess the wife is standing in the way of her relationship with the teacher. They don't succeed. Sure. The wife is the only reason y'all aren't together, girl. Yeah, they don't succeed. The wife actually ends up killing both the jocks and probably being traumatized for the rest of her life because she's murdered two people, I guess. Then they, they they take the wife to the hospital and Tamara ends up going to the hospital because she still wants to kill the wife because she believes that killing the wife is, is the way to... Is the key. Right. The key to getting the guy. There's a big, long hospital scene. Some people die. They're running around. Ultimately, what ends up happening, and it's the movie's end. And the movie's ending is sort of what one of my biggest issues is with this film. Aside from the fact that some of the lines are pretty cringeworthy, some of the acting is not great. The way that the movie ends is they end up on the roof. And Tamara is there with a security guard that she has mind-controlled. And she's going to get the security guard to shoot the wife. But then Chloe, the badass skater chick from California, comes up with an axe and slashes Tamara in the back. Now, it doesn't do anything to her. Tamara grabs the axe out and then she heals because she's, I guess, immortal zombie witch girl. Side note, in the original screenplay of this, Chloe was a closet lesbian, but they decided to just take that out of the movie. 
And also important to note at this point, Chloe was the only one who pleaded for them to call the police uh, when Tamara got killed and had basically nothing to do with with any of it. And yeah. and had she had stood up for Tamara in the past as well. Yeah. So Tamara tries to mind control Chloe, but when Tamara touches Chloe, she gets this flood of memories and sees Chloe standing up for her. So then Tamara has this moment where she realizes all the bad things she's done. And basically, basically says, I'm becoming the monster that they are or something like that. Like she has this really stupid self-realization move, like moment where she decides that she's becoming a monster. That is not how she's defeated. She then sort of snaps out of it because that's stupid. And she doesn't need to apologize for having self-confidence. Of course not. So she snaps out of it. And then they realize that the reason that she is unkillable is because her fate is tied to the subject of her love spell. So she's going to be unkillable as long as the teacher is alive. And he's up on the roof with them. So they all realize this. And then in one of the stupidest and most outrageous scenes... The teacher mouths I love you to his wife, grabs Tamara, and flings himself off the roof with her. Okay. And the fall scene is really long and drawn out and, like, has them, like, flailing in the air. This is, at most, a two- to three-story hospital. But they, like, drag out this fall scene to make it dramatic. But the entire time, all I can think of is, this is so stupid. You just killed yourself because this... Demon witch girl wanted to kill your wife. I don't know. It just seemed really dumb to me. I'm and sorry. Does that mean that you would not kill yourself to protect me? Um, I just think that maybe there are other avenues to pursue. Like you could try negotiating with self-confident Tamara. You could. I don't know. It just seemed like a really dumb move. Also, they weren't like 100% sure this was going to work. This is what they theorized. And that just seems like a big step for something that you're not even sure. She could have, like, Michael Myers them and just walked, gotten right up from that hospital pavement and been like, mm-hmm, that's not how you kill me. And then just wandered off. They just thought that this is what was going to happen because they had gone to Tamara's house previously and seen her spell book. And all of a sudden were witchcraft experts and knew that the spell that she performed must have linked her life to the teachers. So if he died, she would die. Because that's how that works. Yes. It was pretty crazy. I'm not going to lie. And it was just so cheesy. The fall was so cheesy. But the movie did have some good horror elements to it. I will say the death scenes were pretty solid. She kills her dad. I didn't mention it, but her dad is... Because this, because what would be an episode of this without talking about pedophilia? Her dad oh is this God. kind of... <laughs> no! <laughs> her dad is this sort of like pedo guy where her mom had left them. And because of that, the dad became an alcoholic and then started making inappropriate comments towards Tamara. And it's in a really dumb, stereotypical kind of way. The sort of abusive father. He's not physically abusive towards her. But anyway, Tamara makes him... Eat a beer bottle, and that's how he dies. Oh, God. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, so ultimately, Tamara, not a great movie. It was part of the problem. The beginning was really slow, and some of the death scenes were worth watching. I'll also note that the axe is only ever wielded by Chloe so the cover is somewhat misleading because Tamara never actually wields that axe. She grabs it out of her back, but then she just throws it down. So anyways, that's Tamara. Well, that sounds like one hell of a movie. It was something. What are you going to talk about? I was about to say, are you ready for my book? Okay, so... Last week, I did, like, the super campy, super... Well, actually, it wasn't really campy. It was just crazy and off the fucking wall. Yeah, campy is not how I would describe that book. The cover was campy with the nails. <laughs> the cover was great. I will say that. 
But that is where the camp ended. Well, the cover of this one isn't as good. Uh, we'll get to it in like two shakes. But picture this for me. Mm-hmm. Living in a lovely, picturesque small town in New York. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows everybody. It's all cozy mom and pop businesses. Lots of festivals, traditions, and it's calm and cozy and quiet. Doesn't that sound nice? Yeah, sure, if you're into small towns. Except there's also a ghost witch that has her mouth and her eyes stitched closed, and if you hear her whispering, you kill yourself. How does she whisper with her mouth stitched closed? We'll get there. Okay. Long story short, but I'll get to it, is there's a stitch missing. So she whispers out of the corner of her mouth. (laughs) I don't know why I'm so entertained by that. (laughs) All I can think of for some reason is in the Wizard of Oz when they first find the Tin Man, but he can barely talk. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just like, oh, you can. That's how I picture this ghost right now. Well, she's she's a lot more terrifying than that. We'll get to it. This book is actually quite good. I really enjoyed it. But yes. That's where we get into the book, which is called Hex. And I will actually ask you to say the author's name because he is Dutch. Oh, man. Um, And I don't know how to say it. It looks to me like Thomas Oldehoyveld, but oh, man, you're putting me on the spot because that could be wrong. But that's what it looks like is Oldehoyveld. Oldehoyveld. That's cool. So, it was written in 2013, but the English version came out in 2016. Uh, As you can see, well, you specifically, Max, can see, the cover is a lot simpler. It's just basically a small town street with hex stylized and then stitches overlaid across the top. We worked with some really good Photoshop here, but there is a loose stitch at the end Mm -hmm. because she talks out of the corner of her mouth. Okay. So let me read you the blurb. Okay. Welcome to Black Spring, a seemingly picturesque Hudson Valley town haunted by the Black Rock Witch, a 17th century woman whose eyes and mouth are sewn shut. Muzzled, she walks the streets and enters homes at will. She stands next to children's beds for nights on end. Her eyes may never be opened or the consequences will be too terrible to bear. The elders of Black Spring prevent the curse from spreading with high-tech surveillance. Frustrated by the lockdown, the town's teenagers break their strict regulations, and in doing so, send the town spiraling into depraved practices of the distant past. I mean, it sounds good to me. It is good. Let me give you a little bit of background about the witch, because honestly, the premise of this book is what is so interesting the actual actions are like your witch haunting, witch ghost haunting sort of situation. So the witch's real name is Catherine Van Weiler, mm-hmm. also super Dutch. Yeah. She was an unmarried woman in a 1600 settlement. So she was obviously already subject to suspicion because clearly a woman is not valid unless there is a man in her life to define her life for her. Well, in that time period, for sure. I know, I was being facetious. So her son dies, and she is seen burying him in the woods. But a few days later, he is seen running through town. So, of course, witchcraft. Wait, she's single with a son. Yes. That's real bad in those times. Yeah, I can't... I honestly can't remember if she, like, had a husband who died or just, like, showed up in town with her child. Okay. Uh, She also has a daughter. But the daughter is far less important than this. Hmm. But anyway, so her son dies... And she is seen burying her son in the woods. But then a few days later, her son is seen running through town. So, of course, witchcraft. So she is tried. She confesses under torture. Who wouldn't? And her punishment is that she must either kill her resurrected son or the townspeople will kill her daughter. That doesn't really seem correct. I don't know, but that's the choice that they give her. So she kills her resurrected son, and then they decide to hang her. Okay. But, because these are Puritan people, she has to show her penance. So they put the noose around her neck, but she herself must step off of the platform. 
as penance in the eyes of God. Well, why wouldn't you just not step off? I ma- I mean, I imagine they would push her at that point. But the fact that she stepped off is important. Okay. so She, she had to kill herself. Okay. Yeah, I see. I-, I can predict where this is going. Well, I also told you where it was going before. Yeah. Uh, so her ghost haunted the area and people were killed. Basically, like, the settlement, everyone was killing themselves. And, like, one woman killed multiple children that were in her care and she said that this lady in the woods told her that she had to choose Hmm. and kill them so kind of crazy so still way back in the past church elders tracked her down and they sewed her lips and her eyes shut and then they killed themselves because they were exposed to her okay afterwards so fast forward so that was like way back in the 16 1700s In the 1960s, two doctors decided that they were going to unstitch her mouth. Wait, so she's still alive in the 1960s? No, this is all her ghost. But how do you unstitch the mouth of a ghost? Were they digging her body up or they just like saw this ghost around? She's like a weirdly corporeal ghost. Okay. And so she just hangs around this town and everyone's like, oh yeah, that's old whatever her name is. Uh, Black Rock Witch, the modern characters call her Grandma Kay, because her name's Catherine. So these doctors just know that there's this witch with a stitched up mouth, and they're just deciding to go unstitch her mouth. The doctors live in the town. So it's a secret. And, okay, and they want to unstitch this super creepy witch ghost's mouth because... I'm getting there. Okay. So they decide they want to unstitch her mouth because it's with her mouth completely sewn shut. No one's killing themselves. No bad things are happening. And so enough time, hundreds of years have passed. Right. So all the bad things kind of became myth and legend. And because it was the 60s and like free love and all that shit, they're like, maybe she's just misunderstood. Maybe she's still hanging around because she has a story to tell. So the doctors cut one stitch and then immediately are entranced by her whispering and kill themselves. Not only that, but right when the stitch was cut, three townspeople dropped dead. Hmm. Because everyone in the town is cursed and linked to Grandma Kay. I wonder if that's everyone who's from that town or what if somebody who had just moved there the previous week? Well, that is all the past... Now we're in modern times, and I will tell you how this curse works. Okay. So, that's the background of how we got to where we were with Grandma K. Uh, In modern times, in this town, the people who live there are under the curse. They cannot leave the town, because if they're gone from the town long enough, they develop the urge to kill themselves. Okay. So, it's right by New York City, so a lot of people work in the city. A lot of the young adults go to NYU, things like that. I want to say that the one of the main characters who's a teenager goes to school outside of the town. So you can leave the town, but basically the general rule is you don't spend the night. Okay. Away from town. As far as people who move to town, first of all, it's highly discouraged. Hex is actually the name of like a group of people in the town who their entire job is to keep an eye on Grandma K. And when people are considering buying property there, they try and discourage them. Okay. There's there's a couple that moves to town, so all of that kind of plays out. But they'll be like, oh no, there's so many issues. Oh no, there's something wrong with the house. Oh no, you really don't want to move here. And when you move to the town, you aren't under the curse Until the first time you see her. Okay. But, so Grandma Kay wanders, but she also just teleports. So you'll be, well, actually, the couple that moves to town is kind of amusing. They're having sex. And she looks up and Grandma Kay is standing at the foot of the bed. And that's how they met her. Okay. So I basically want to tell you about three different storylines going on. There's several in the book that all kind of interweave and converge. But I want to tell you about three craziest ones okay so 
There is a woman named Griselda. And she owns the butcher shop. Her husband is gone. It's just her and her son, Jaden. Jaden is important for a different storyline. Griselda is super sad and super lonely. And she's kind of weird. And the town kind of just takes pity on her. Like, there's this whole thing about how she doesn't make the pate as well as her husband did. But everyone buys it anyway because they feel bad for her. Okay. Kind of thing. Well, you say, okay, it was like five fucking pages about, God, <laughs> about like, pate that wasn't good. Oh. Anyway, you find out that Griselda feels this weird connection with Catherine, the ghost witch. Mm-hmm. Grandma Kay. I should probably call her that more often to, like, fully designate that this is the ghost witch. And she, she will, like, take food to Grandma Kay. When she finds out that Grandma Kay is, like, standing in the woods. Because this is super modern times. So there's, like, a town-wide alert that goes to people's cell phones Mm -hmm. whenever she's spotted. So that people know where she is at all times. Okay. I won't go too much into it because it's actually, the like, one of the most interesting parts, but not super salacious to talk about. But, like, the lengths that this town goes to to keep her a secret is very fascinating. And it's very well written. And it's very well thought out. But it's more interesting to read than interesting to tell you about. Okay. Otherwise, it's just like a list. Yeah. But anyway, so when she finds out that Grandma Kay is like out in the woods and stuff, she will go and sit with her and she will bring gifts of food. And her rationale of bringing gifts to Grandma Kay is that she just has this feeling that Grandma Kay is going to snap and basically kill them all. Foreshadowing. (laughs) And she... Wants Grandma Kay to like her. And she thinks that if she brings these offerings, Grandma Kay will like her and therefore spare her and her son. Okay. But then she decides that bringing pate that no one actually likes isn't enough. So what do you do? Uh, She goes and she steals a peacock. From where? Like a local farm. Okay. Um, A A peacock farm. It's cool. I mean, there's a there's a peacock that wanders around the neighborhood next to ours. Yeah, that's true. But this is New Orleans. I mean, true, true. This isn't like upstate New York. So she brings this peacock to Grandma Kay and she has this weird pulley system. But basically, like she ties the peacock up in like a grocery bag and then uses a weird like pulley system to hook the peacock onto Grandma Kay's arm. So that Grandma Kay is carrying around the peacock in a bag. So the ghost doesn't really acknowledge her or anything. The ghost is just kind of there and they're like, she's like hanging a peacock on her arm. Yes. Okay. Grandma Kay will like stand there and not move. Okay. That's for a really that's long creepy. time. The, the scenes where she does move are very significant. To those scenes. Like, okay. someone is doing something okay, to cause it. But anyway, so she hangs the peacock and then she goes home. And the next day, because they're like, people are always on the lookout for Grandma Kay. They find her with the peacock on her arm. The peacock is screeching because it's stuck in a bag. And... So these city officials from Hex are trying to figure out how they're going to get the peacock away from Grandma Kay. And Grandma Kay reaches down and grabs onto the peacock's tail feathers and uses her magic to fry the peacock and kill it. I wonder if that means she liked the peacock or she didn't like the peacock. Well, she did like the peacock. So they know that when she teleports, anything that has been put on her, the Weirdly enough, not the stitches when they stitched up her eyes or they they shackled her too. But anything that is put on her bursts into flames. And she does not teleport for something like five days. Because she has this peacock. Because she has this peacock. And obviously Grandma Kay can't talk. She just whispers sweet nothings in your ear. But there are several times where they theorize that she must like the peacock because she's holding on to it. And Griselda is very proud of that. The last little thing is later she decides that she needs to sacrifice her son to Catherine. Okay. That escalates. The book escalates very quickly. That happens at the end. 
I'll briefly talk about the end after I've talked about my three storylines. Okay. So my other storyline, or another storyline, is a group of teens. It's four teens. There's a boy named Tyler. There's Jaden, who is Griselda's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barack, Barack, B-U-R-A-K, and Lawrence. And they feel very suffocated by the fact that they can't spend the night at a friend's house outside of town. And, you know, they're teenagers and they can't, you know, tell their girlfriends, mm-hmm. you know, why this, that, or whatever. And they kind of manifest this frustration by starting to experiment on Grandma K. And so one of the things that they do and this is important later on, is they take a phone and they tie it to a string and they put it on like a fishing pole and they hang it by her mouth where she's whispering and they record her whispers. And then honestly, a like really fucked up experiment. They ask some random kid at their high school who doesn't live in the town to listen to it. But the kid's like, I, I it's, why are you playing or recording the whispers? Mm. And it doesn't do anything to him. Well, Jaden... He's a very angry teenager and he gets progressively more and more violent. So there's a scene at one point where Grandma Kay is in Barack's house and Jaden has a box cutter on the end of like a fishing pole sort of thing. I think it's just a stick with a string, but you know, Mm -hmm. for visuals, a fishing pole. And he's repeatedly like swinging this at Grandma Kay and slicing open her skin to -hmm. try and piss her off. And Barack calls... Tyler and Lawrence over because Jaden's freaking out. And Tyler, this is this is really sad. Tyler has his dog Fletcher. I don't like where this is going. Your tone changed immediately. <laughs> and Tyler is yelling at Jaden, telling him to stop. And Jaden gets angry. So Jaden grabs Fletcher, who's barking like crazy because Grandma K is a ghost witch. Grabs Fletcher and throws Fletcher at Grandma K. And Fletcher bites Grandma Kay, but then she, like, fries him, and he flies across the room. And he's hurt, which is very sad. And that night, Fletcher runs away. The next day, they cannot find Fletcher, but they did find... There's cameras all over town, and they found a thermal imaging camera of Grandma Kay leading Fletcher away from the house into the woods, because apparently she's a ghost that shows up on thermal imaging. Whatever. And they find Fletcher hanging from a tree 50 feet in the air. Dead, obviously. So that's what happens. But when Grandma Kay was walking around with the peacock, what finally made her teleport is Jaden and some of the boys are basically like driving her with a stick and they make her walk into a creek that is behind Tyler's house. And Tyler is filming it and he's screaming like, stop, stop, you know, stop doing this. And once she's in the creek kind of trapped, they start throwing stones at her until she teleports because they're hurting her so much, which destroys the peacock and kills someone in town. Like when the stitch was cut. Shortly after that, Tyler tells his father that he has this video and his father convinces him to turn the boys in. And then we are treated to two chapters, basically, of the boys being flogged in public in 2016. So the boys are flogged in public. Jaden was the one who was throwing the rocks, so he got double the lashes. But then the other two boys only got 10 each. And then that night, someone, we don't know who, probably Jaden, sneaks into Tyler's room And plays a mysterious recording in Tyler's ear while he's sleeping. It's the whispers. And Tyler kills himself. Which brings us to our third storyline, which is a lot shorter. And that is Tyler's father, Steve. So Steve is one of the people who helps tell newcomers what's going on in the town. And helps them get settled. And... For the most part, he just tries to get people to follow the rules. A lot of the backstory of the town is told through Steve's memories. So, for example, shortly after they moved there, they went. he and his wife went on a vacation and had to come back early because they were trying to kill themselves. And that's how you find out what the curse is. Like, that sort of thing. But the main plot comes in after Tyler dies. 
Because Steve decides that he is going to bargain with Grandma Kay because she brought back her son in the 1600s and he wants Tyler back. And so he says, I will help you if you'll bring my son back. I will help you. I will help you. And he takes the stitches off of her mouth and her eyes. Ooh, that seems like a bad idea. It is a bad idea. Basically, the entire rest of the book beyond that point, which is a good like 60 pages or so, she drives the town insane and everyone's just killing themselves and each other until no one's left. So is she defeated in the end? No. Interesting. So yeah, that's Hex by Mr. Hoyvelt. Not as off the wall, but honestly, it was a lot better written and a lot more coherent. And it definitely had its creepy parts. I would give it four out of five stitches with just enough room left in that fifth stitch left open to whisper through. I liked it, honestly. I mean, it's creepy. That's an actual horror story. Whereas last week's was, I feel, less horrific and more outrageous. But this story is creepy. Yeah. Thinking about this story, when you visualize it, or when I visualize it in my head, I find it authentically creepy. And it sounds well done, honestly. I would tell people to read this book. And obviously, I know the ending... Because I heard it, but people might like the ending too, even though we're not going to tell them what it is. Yeah. No, it was, it's very well written. It's very interesting. Like I said, it, it was interesting to read, but would have been tedious for me to just like rattle off everything. But it's the level of detail that the author goes into to explain how this town has kept her a secret in a modern age is fascinating. Yeah, I love a good ghost story. I also like that this has kind of a twist on a lot of ghost stories because the townspeople fully acknowledge that she exists. And also the fact that she is corporeal is kind of different. You don't really encounter that. And I kind of find that that makes it almost scarier to me. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting is I was reading this while we were watching Wayward Pines. Mm Mm-hmm. And Wayward Pines has that scene where they're shown, the school children are shown the the stuff about the Abbeys. Yes. In this, so the thing, the, the event in the 1960s with the doctors was caught on tape. Okay. And every child in this town is shown that video in the fifth grade. Interesting. So that these kids grow up understanding, like, just how dangerous it is to mess with Grandma K. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like it. I like the plot of it. It seems super creepy. No, it sounds great to me. So then, of course, it brings us to the question, would you die if you were in the town of Hex? So I have two answers to that. (laughs) If I were born there, yes. Everyone dies. Sure. If I weren't, no, I wouldn't. They work really hard to keep people from moving to the town. And I'm a very anxious man. And I don't like talking on the phone as it is. So if I'm talking on the phone with someone who's really desperately trying to convince me not to buy a house, I'll find another fucking house. Yeah, that's true. I mean, as somebody who has gone house shopping before, I will say that as soon as people start mentioning any problems... That's like it for me, because even houses where people don't mention the problems are going to have problems. So if you tell me, oh, yeah, this house has bad foundation or whatever is wrong with it, that's kind of it. It's sort of like peace out after that. Yeah. So if I were born there, yes. If I weren't, no, I wouldn't die. Yeah, that makes sense. In that town. Would you die in Tamara? Um, I'm going to have to say no to that. Tamara only kills the people that bully her. And I was definitely not a bully in high school. And I think, to be truthful, the frumpy girl with the witchcraft books would probably be my friend. So I feel like Tamara and I would be cool even after she got her self-confidence back. I think that we would be okay. And she probably 
would be okay with me. I was not a jock in high school, so <laughs> Tamra's Revenge would probably have missed me a little bit, and I think I could have survived it. I mean, there are multiple other high school students there. I mean, she goes to that whole house party, and none of those other people die. So, Just the people who are mean. Moral of the story, don't bully witches. Don't drive them into creeks and throw stones at them. I think don't bully witches is a pretty good moral of the story in general. But really also don't bully people in general. Don't be a bully. Don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. I think that's just what it comes down to. No, I really liked it. To be honest, I'm still kind of thinking about Hex because it sounds genuinely creepy to me. Like something that, I don't know, it's a story that interests me. I guess I can say that. But yeah. So that's it for this week. As always, you can find us on social media. Well, sort of. Still only Instagram. I haven't said Twitter scares me because I've never used it. But I will set it up. I promise. But you can find us on Instagram at Second to Die Pod. And soon to be probably Twitter. Maybe Facebook. Yes. And if you want to email us directly, if you have a movie you want us to watch or want Max to watch, if you have a book you want me to read, uh, you can also email us at secondtodiepod at gmail.com. Yeah. So any suggestions we're definitely open to. Otherwise, we will see you next week for whatever else we decide to watch slash read and uh, talk which, about. Which hopefully won't involve pedophilia. This time. that That's the dream right there. But we will see y'all next week. And remember, if you can't be first, you can always be second to die. <laughs>